it may be Oscar week in LA, but it was definitely First Amendment week in Washington. That was the theme of our event. The chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff, General Mark Milley, gave an incredible and passionate speech about really uh, why he does what mm-hmm. he does, and he put the First Amendment at the heart of it. It was sort of um, it was jaw-dropping. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Monday, March 13th, which means it's Media Monday. Today, John Kelly and I are talking Washington. John and I recap some delicious highlights from Puck's event in DC last week celebrating the First Amendment. And we talk about a new journalism startup in Washington aimed at filling a supposed gap in Beltway media coverage. But we ask, isn't the Beltway media saturated enough? We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode of Powers of the Beat. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting The Gentleman. The new series from Guy Ritchie stars Emmy nominee Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ains. Eddie Horniman, played by Theo James, unexpectedly inherits his father's estate, only to discover it's part of a cannabis empire. And Britain's criminal underworld wants a piece of the operation, forcing Eddie to play the gangsters at their own game. Now available only on Netflix. Happy Monday, everybody. If it's Monday here at the Powers That Be, it's Media Monday. I'm joined today by John Kelly, and we're going to resist talking about the brackets because our listeners don't like talking about sports. Instead, Mm-mm. John, you successfully, along with our great team at Puck, fronted a lovely Puck reception at the French Ambassador's residence last week in Washington. I came in for it for the evening, saw a lot of old pals. Um, saw a lot of people I avoided eye contact with. That happens in Washington. Um, <laughs> how are the reviews, man? I feel like it was like really fun. It was packed. Like I saw old friends, new friends, and you know, not to I don't want to fluff ourselves too much, but like it was it, it blew my expectations away. And shout out to everyone at the Puck team who helped put this together. Well, that's nice to hear. It may be Oscar week in L.A., but it was definitely First Amendment week in Washington. That was the theme of our event. The chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff, General Mark Milley, gave an incredible and passionate speech about really uh, why he does what mm-hmm. he does. And he put the First Amendment at the heart of it. It was, it was sort of um, it was jaw dropping. I wrote about a little bit of this in the uh, in the backstory. And I think it, we had a, a wonderful event. I think it was great for, for the puck journalists, for our partners to be to be celebrated in that way and, and to I think also I think we all sort of felt a bit of, of what we're building here you know um, mm-hmm. uh, when you throw a party and people show up it's a wonderful feeling and I think it, was, it, it felt very puck to me at one point in the evening I was sitting in that salon room with the piano player and all those red mm-hmm. balloons in the ceiling and and the neon line with the sentence that had been deleted from the first amendment and you know in one corner there's Kara Swisher talking to George Conway in another corner. And in one corner is uh, Senator Whitehouse from the great state of Rhode Island. The uh, great state of Rhode Island. <laughs> the Calamari state. And That's then in another right. corner are like three of the uh, political playbook journalists. And 
you know, there was Juliana Glover and Chris Licht standing a couple of feet away from Dylan in the room with where the spread was. It was great. It was a great night. It felt like us. I think that we try to show Washington that we're we're a little different. Uh, we see the world a little bit differently, and um, there's a there's a place for us in their media mix. So uh, great night all around. I had conversations around this, which is why I'm curious what your answer was, because everyone was busy mingling with their little networks and and meeting new people and sort of articulating this an answer to this question. Because like Washington is oversaturated with media and reporters, all of whom are claiming to peel back the curtain and show you the real Washington. Mm -hmm. How what did you say when when presented with that question? Like, how are we different? Well, you know, I think that we stand out in a couple of ways. First of all, our editorial and business strategy is aligned in that we, we want to sort of take the best of each of these worlds that we cover. That allows us more differentiation mm-hmm. and uh, more opportunity. And, and we allow these worlds to sort of learn about each other, which I think was the old Vanity Fair trick that um, certainly I learned from Graydon where at the end of the day, you know, political people really do know their world. They actually also want to know what's going on in, in Bellany world. They, you know, or want to know what's going on in Dylan's notebook and people from Silicon Valley want to know what's going mm-hmm. on, uh, you know, vice versa in DC. So mm-hmm. there's a bit of that. And I think the other piece too is there's a sort of New York view of the world that I think Puck can bring to Washington where mm-hmm. we're not actually competing with the Washington Post or Politico or the New York Times because why bother? They, they, they've got that waterfront covered. I think we recognize that there is a world of reporting and analysis that we can offer that goes beyond what their mandate calls for. And it is um, it is the quiet part out loud, as you say, all along. Mm-hmm. I think you can do a lot more in media with less. You know, one of the opportunities of large news organizations is that obviously they can cover everything. They can cover the waterfront. One of the downsides, and you and I both know this because we spend a lot of time in these places, is that the bigger you are, the more sclerotic you can be and, and, and the more um, people who are outside this business don't realize just the human impact that can dissuade people from doing great work. I was talking to a fantastic journalist the other day who was explaining how um, at one of the biggest news organizations in the world, there are colleagues that are just basically you know make it their job to sort of fact check their other colleagues to ensure that they don't do things that discredit the brand and, and at the end of the day i think that that's counterproductive we're all adults here so mm. puck can be more in uh, occasionally more insightful certainly more delicious and i think puck is unafraid to go where where uh, others will not and uh, that's a part of our value proposition yeah i think part of that is a related to a conversation i had with a couple republicans that were there and they were talking about a podcast that I had recently done with Tara and a Q&A I had done in The Best and the Brightest with Tara, sort of about DeSantis and Glenn Youngkin and just having a natural conversation about Republican politics in a way that wasn't just totally dismissive of Republicans as just like maniacal racist lunatics, which, look, by the way, a lot of them are. But I think we don't reflexively unfurl a middle finger at the right. And I think a lot of political media has done that. And some of that is fair and some of it is not. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I think they just said that like, we respect your sensibility and that you're willing to call balls and strikes. And obviously I think we all know in the media, the truth is not between somewhere right down the middle between Republican and Democrat. It's the best obtainable version of the truth, whatever that is. But, you know, I think we have enough experience covering Democrats, Republicans, the White House, Congress, campaigns, like between us, we're able to sort of like see where the northern light is. And I just felt like it was kind of rewarding to be told like, look, I still think you guys are liberal, but at least you're more fair than the rest of them. (laughs) And like that's that's kind of like a a, a nourishing thing. Um, I think there's a hunger out there, not for like 
centrist content, but for content that at least smells fair to people. And, you know, there's a reason that Ben LeBolt, the new White House communications director, was there. And a reason that there were many Republicans from Capitol Hill and various yeah. party committees there. Like, it's just, you know, I, again, I think that happens all over D.C. probably. But I just it was nice to hear that articulated out loud. Well, that's nice. And we'll, we'll do our listeners a service and stop talking about ourselves in one second. And I'll just say that, that uh, <laughs> what, what, I, the way I interpret all that, because I've heard various versions of it before, is um, we hope that Puck is and remains fresh. Um, DC has been covering DC in its DC language and its DC Brooks Brothers outfits for a very, very long time. And sometimes just by being the sort of New York and L.A. people, we offer something that's a little bit different. Even if Tara and Tina and Julia li- live in town, they all, I think, mm-hmm. uh, come to it with a very, very different sensibility. And yes, nobody wants to relitigate the wars between the Democrats and the Republicans. I, I get feedback on this podcast all the time that I seem like the most Republican person who ever came out of Greenwich Village. Um, we have a very pro-success attitude here at Puck, and take that for what you will. Um, all right, enough about us, for real. When we come back, I want to talk about a starry-eyed new startup coming to Washington, apparently, and whether there is room for another ad-supported, fair, unbiased news organization in Washington, D.C. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting the new series, The Gentleman. Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings star in what The Playlist calls an entertaining crime comedy filled with style, panache, and laughs. The Evening Standard raves, The Gentleman is peak Guy Ritchie, impossible not to love. Now available only on Netflix. Hey guys, it's Peter. When I'm not recording the pod, let's be honest, I'm probably snacking. I get hungry. But when I can steal some moments during the day, I do like to eat healthy. And eating better is easy with Factors, delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. And this is big, no cooking required. I recommend the smoothies. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. These are two-minute meals. Fuel up fast with Factors restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. Are. Pancakes, I love pancakes, more than waffles, more than French toast. A couple of my favorites so far, the red chili chicken tamale bowl and the smoky bacon and cheddar egg bites. I love egg bites. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals, factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. So sign up and save. Head to factormeals.com slash powers that be 50 and use code powers that be 50 to get 50% off. That's code powers that be 50 at factormeals.com slash powers that be 50 to get 50% off. Welcome back to the powers that be everybody. John, before the podcast, sort of knocking around what we should talk about. And you sent me a link to this New York Times article about a group of journalists and financiers who -hmm. want to start something called The Messenger in Washington. And this is the brains behind The Hill, not the original Hill, but the version of The Hill that became an SEO monster over the last 10 years. 
really became a click oriented, but still very successful business uh, and was sold for over a hundred million dollars, I think at some point a couple years ago. Um, can you explain yeah. what the messenger is, who's behind it and what this business is supposed to look like? So this is the brainchild of Jimmy Finkelstein, sort of a Palm Beach legend at this point. He, he owned uh, mm. The Hollywood Reporter, or at least was a, a part owner of it for years. Um, I think his father was a, a publisher. And he uh, he owned a hill and sold it to Nexstar for $130 million. He, he, turned it, uh, he, he sort of moved it from being a inside the Beltway rag to being a much more populous news organization. And it, it, for a while, it did the pivot into video very, very hard. I don't know if that worked. I met Jimmy once. He reached out to us when he was beginning this journey. We chatted a little bit. Nothing excessive. He raised a lot of money. He raised $50 million. I think the most interesting investor mentioned, at least in the Times report, is, is Josh Harris, who's the... Uh, uh, who made his money at Apollo. He owns the 76ers. He is trying to buy the commanders from Jeff Bezos uh, or or he's vying with Jeff Bezos to buy the commanders. And, you know, he's uh, one of the, I guess, the sort of second generation of private equity billionaires. And so, you know, th- this is this is seriously equitized. So I think first and foremost, $50 million, like whether this works or doesn't work, they're going to have a fair amount of runway here. They're trying to hire 175 journalists uh, all wow. around the country, New York, LA, Washington. When I talked to Jimmy, I actually expressed my own surprise at that. I, I think that the trend in media, I, I think of it as almost like tier two media, meaning affinity-based media, not not um, New York Times or CNN type media, is towards smaller and bespoke and, and deeper, uh, not wider. Jimmy sees mm-hmm. something different. God bless him. I think that all investment in this space is good and, and that this will be helpful to all of us. It seemed to me like like semaphore and steroids. That was my initial read. Uh, the top editor mm-hmm. comes from people, so maybe it has more of a, um, a populist view. I don't think it's going to be as sophisticated as, as semaphore by intention. And the most interesting detail to me is that the president is none other than Richard Mad Dog Beckman. And I can't put into words, Peter, what a character <laughs> this guy was when I worked at Condé Nast. So he was the publisher of Vogue, and then he was the CMO. Uh-huh. His signature event was something called Fashion Rocks, and then I think he started something called Movies Rock. They were, they were these awful made-for-TV events that were sellable. The company made a lot of money off of them, and they created what were basically sort of uh, advertorial magazines. And, and Beckman was a okay. sales hound and, and sold them. That, anyway, no, notable because you know when we talk about the glory days of the sort of three martini lunch Condé Nast publisher, like that was Mad Dog. English guy, looked a lot like Bob Hoskins, although according to this New York Times uh, photograph, not, not as much like Bob Hoskins as he used to. He, there are a lot of reasons why he left Condé Nast and I'm going to let everyone Google them. But he ended up working at Vice somehow. I actually remember hilariously. I was in a meeting at Vice. Uh, one alternative sliding door reality was that I actually pitched the hive to Vice before bringing it to Vanity Fair. So I was having a meeting there with a bunch of like adult hmm. teenagers who, who were um, trying to figure out if they were going to invest in this or not. And I remember seeing out of the corner of my eye, Mad Dog, in this like, you know, he lived in Greenwich, <laughs> I think. And... He was in his 50s already by then, and he was wearing like 50s kind of rich guy, uh, but works uh-huh. at a cool place outfit, like tartan <laughs> shirt with a, with a sleeve rolled up to, to, to reveal some sort of other pattern, mm-hmm. tight but not scarily tight jeans. He was wearing New Balance sneakers, which, you know, he this is a guy who used to wear like $2,000 John Lobb shoes. And it was just uh, hilarious to see him in such a strange, different context. And then yet to see him again this morning in this suit with Jimmy Finkelstein, in his third life, I just said, holy shit, man. 
this is a media character and i respect these guys don't hate the player hate the game he has lived many many lives and this was not an incarnation i thought i'd see him coming back in so this is a loaded crew like, like there, there is a reality show element to finkelstein and beckman getting the band together coming up with a plan that looks like it's more web 2.0 I mean, this seems like a strategy that's a little bit more buzzfeed than it is um the information but they see something that I don't see, and uh, and God love them, yeah. uh, and give them a chance to to do it. And and certainly, um, I think that the the market will benefit from all the hiring they're going to do. Here's a Ben Mullen uh, sort of wrote this little story that we're talking about in the New York Times, and he has a sort of sneering, contemptuous New York Times phrase in here, a very New York Times phrase, uh, and he called the Hill a quote middle market chronicler of Washington. <laughs> I politics. saw that. I saw that. I saw that. And <laughs> The, the ivory tower crowd might snoot at uh, something like that, but that might be the lane, you know, like, like just like very basic, straightforward, you know, uncomplicated, quote unquote, unbiased news coverage for right. normie middle America. And like, I'm, I'll never forget this conversation I had with um, Terry Sullivan, who was Marco Ruby advisor, I think still is. Mm on his 2016 campaign. And Terry was at the Puck event the other night, looking dashing. Very, very dashing. He and I met way back, way back in South Carolina when I was an embed there and he was working for Romney and ran, ran a consulting firm down there before going big national. But Terry told me this funny story one time. I think we were in New York walking around when he was in town. And he was like talking about how, this validated all of my worldviews about like political media, by the way. He's like, all of you political reporters, like right for each other. Yes, there's mm -hmm. some value in placing a scoop or getting some tidbit of news in Politico, Washington Post, New York Times, whatever. Like, so you guys all cover it and it gets covered on TV, blah, 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 because that stuff drives other media. But he goes, Absolutely. especially if you're a Republican, he's like, I would much rather place a story if I have a Republican candidate in very boring legacy digital outlets. So, he said CNN.com, where mm -hmm. I used to work, AOL.com, Yahoo News. He's like, people in D.C. think that these brands are very, very lame and unsexy. But he's like, old people who vote, <laughs> read that shit. You know, they like still, so a lot of people still log on to AOL.com. Right, they do. It's not cool. Like a lot of that stuff is sputtering. Some of it is dying. But the messenger could sort of just be doing that kind of content and then spraying it all over like... Facebook or whatever. And maybe they can monetize that. Who knows? So I, I'm all for the like, let's be optimistic and supportive of new entrants because this stuff takes guts. It really does. And especially for a guy like Finkelstein, who's already rich, who's already in his 70s. He doesn't have to do this at all. You know, there, mm -hmm. there's a boat with his name on it somewhere or some Palm Beach bath club or whatever. I'm, I'm not schooled on, on which is the, uh, the, the in or the out bathing club down there. But here... <laughs> Editor, I assume this guy, Dan Wakeford, is a very smart guy. Here's the challenge, I think, as I would imagine it. You're making a good point about, about what will be editorially resonant. I think that they are possibly going to have to pick a lane here. And, and the Times story clearly uh -huh. is an announcement, right? Like They're, they're not revealing everything. Uh -huh, but uh -huh. there's absolutely a world that, let's call it the world of Matt Drudge, where you see this kind of pop Republican-ish 
you know, it's kind of a little bit of Daily Mail, a little bit of pop politics that's really, really successful and drives an extraordinary audience, possibly unreplicable audience, but extraordinary audience that makes a ton of money in display and programmatic advertising. But Mm -hmm. it does so because it has very few fixed costs. The thing about Matt Drudge is almost like Uber or Airbnb. He's not hiring a team of 175 journalists. He's link sharing and he's just putting them on his platform. If you want to build out a huge property and sell intently advertising against it, I'm sure they're going to run into some consumer packaged goods and, and popular Daily Mail adjacent type advertisers who just don't want politics, want nothing, want no mm-hmm. connection to it. You know, political advertising usually tends to attract either corporate social responsibility advocates, you know, big companies telling their story like Google or Meta or way up the food chain, super specific people who might, you know, Lockheed Martin, who might be, you know, trying to reach a certain um, congressional staffer and, and want to be in, in punch bowl. The brands that advertise on the broad web are like skims it's like you know i mean everywhere i go on the on the internet this week i'm seeing ads for the oscars and that's not a surprise will they be able to monetize that at scale with those low cpms i don't know that's a challenge i imagine though that i hope that their past successes don't inure them from the reality that with startups you should build slowly and i hope they don't hire all those dozens and dozens of people all at once because i bet that they'll learn a thing or two along the way as they scale that'll help them scale even more that's totally true. And Ben uh, in the New York Times, Ben Mullen also pointed out correctly that the Washington Post, News Corp, Vox, like a bunch of DC organizations have laid off people <laughs> over the last couple of years. So it's not the best time maybe to be hiring. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for your insight, buddy. I love it when you talk about Washington. Have a good week and I'll see you in the Slack. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13, and produced by Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.